You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in. Last week, we started off our Advent series by looking at the origin of Christmas. We have been given a rich heritage of what it means to worship our Savior. And at Mission Ridge, we want to embrace the ancient practices that we've inherited and connect those to our modern world and try to figure out how to bring those two together. I found it interesting that the early church did not initially celebrate Christmas within its first few hundred years of existence. But eventually, Christmas became an important time to slow down and reflect on the second advent of Christ. As the world moves at an ever-increasing hectic pace during the holiday season, we take time to slow down and remember and prepare ourselves for Christ's return. Now, last week I asked you, what are you doing to create traditions that will point people to Christ? As you go through your Advent season, what traditions are you creating for yourself? What traditions are you creating for your family? What traditions are you creating with those you have influence with? Will this be a season of mindlessly going with the flow or a season of intentionality? In the early Middle Ages, Christmas was not as popular as Epiphany which is observed in the West on January the 6th and celebrates the visit of the Magi to baby Jesus. And it it celebrates uh, both his, um, the visit of the Magi, but also includes this celebration of uh, his presentation to the Gentile world. This is the first contact that Jesus had with the Gentiles which includes you and I. But the promise of Christmas Day increased gradually after Charlemagne was crowned emperor on Christmas Day in 800. King Edmund the Martyr was anointed on Christmas in 855. And King William I of England was crowned on Christmas Day in 1066. Some of the Christmas traditions we cherish today have their roots medieval celebrations. Christmas carols go back as far as the 13th century. The word carol meant that this was originally a type of song with dancing. Early carols would have had one person singing while the others danced in a circle. I I assume the people dancing were the ones that drew the short straws. Just my theory. Next, there's Xmas. Although many people today frown on the seemingly modern abbreviation of Xmas, X stands for the Greek letter Chi, which was the early abbreviation for Christ or the Greek word Christos. The X also symbolizes the cross on which Christ was crucified. My wife reminded me that Oh, I'm trying to think of the author's name. Uh, C.S. Lewis. 
C.S. Lewis would use X in his writings as a shorthand for Christ. And so instead of writing out Christians, he'd write out X and then I-A-N-S, Xens. And then we have Christmas plays. To add to the importance of Christmas masses, visual images were added, such as displaying a crib in the church to represent the place where Jesus was born. By the early 12th century, the liturgy would include dramatic scenes such as angels singing. This will lead to the development of plays where Bible scenes were dramatized. As a celebration of Christmas took on increased importance within the church, how, Christians, how Christmas was celebrated started to come under scrutiny within the church. Some saw caroling as a pagan practice. Archbishop St. Boniface once complained that during Christmas season, people were singing and dancing in the streets in pagan style, heathen, heathen acclamations and sacrilegious songs, Banquet by day and night. I thought Christmas was supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. That aren't we told that Christmas is supposed to be stress-free, conflict-free? Isn't isn't that the storyline we've been sold in our songs and our movies? Or can Christmas sometimes be the most stressful time of the year? Does Christmas sometimes highlight the relationships in our lives where tension thrives for one reason or another? Does Christmas sometimes remind us of what's missing, whether it be a job, maybe a family member, or something else that we cherish? I'm hopeful that as we choose to celebrate Advent, that we will find peace in the midst of busyness, tension, and loss. Now, for some of you, Advent is something new to experience. Advent has a certain liturgy to it. Each week there will be a theme. This week's theme is peace. Last week's theme was hope. Each week there'll be four passages that we'll read through, and each week we'll light a candle, reminding us that Christ came as light, and each week the light grows brighter and brighter. And so our first passage, first peace passage we're going to look at today comes out of Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. 
and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be, his, shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leper shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. My friends, righteousness, equity, meekness, peace, these are all hallmarks of the kind of kingdom Jesus is establishing. But these hallmarks are not for some distant future. Righteousness, equity, meekness, peace are all things the body of Christ, the local church, is to bring to its community. How are we doing? How are we doing as far as establishing peace amongst our neighbors, within our families, in our homes? In our homes, in our workplaces, in our circles of influence, we should be the peacemakers. We should have the reputation of creating traditions that draw people to peace. Our second peace passage comes out of Psalm 72, verses 1 through 7, and then 18 and 19. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people in the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all the generations. May he be like the rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The rabbis believe that the most holy day is not when God brings judgment, but when God provides rain because God is providing for both the rich and the poor equally. 
Isn't that an interesting thought? This is the kind of kingdom Jesus is establishing through his church. Word of rich and the poor find justice. Now, if you are a parent, you may have seen this story play out before your eyes. Johnny takes Jimmy's Christmas cookie, and of course, he eats it, right? Because that's what you do when you're a boy. Now, if you are the parent, how do you bring about restorative justice? How do you bring about restorative justice? Because retributive justice seeks to punish the wrongdoer, while restorative justice seeks to replace that which was lost. Now, Jimmy may care about his brother being disciplined, but not as much as he cares about having his cookie, right? And it even doesn't even matter to Jimmy who provides that cookie to him. He just wants his cookie restored. This highlights a biblical concept of restorative justice. So often when we read about justice in the scriptures, we picture retribution. And many times, though, God is looking to provide restoration. When the psalmist says, may he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The psalmist is asking for restoration of the people. When a family is robbed of their ability to celebrate Christmas, either through loss of income or a debilitating illness or some other event, when you step in and restore the means for the family to celebrate Jesus, you are creating traditions that draw people to peace. When you restore a broken relationship, whether it's your relationship with someone or you see two of your friends with a broken relationship and you help them mend that relationship, you are creating traditions that draw people to peace. When you help someone slow down and take time to celebrate Jesus as the risen Savior, you're creating traditions that draw people to peace. And maybe the place to start is with ourselves. Maybe we need to slow down ourselves long enough to celebrate Jesus as the risen Savior. Our third passage comes out of Romans 15. Apostle Paul says this, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Sounds like peace. In accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs 
in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I'll praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. See, Paul reminds us that Christ came as a servant. He came to serve the Jews and the Gentiles. And he came that we might be able to experience the joy of knowing the Lord. And, and we're invited into how God has been engaging with Israel for thousands of years. Paul reminds us that through Christ we have hope, joy, and peace. And so if in this Advent season, you are not experiencing hope, joy, and peace, maybe it's time to slow down. Maybe it's time to stop and look again at our Savior and who He is. The relationship that He offers. This Advent season, are you looking to create traditions that invites people into the relationship, into the relationship that will draw people to peace? Then our last peace passage comes out of Matthew chapter 3. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. Doesn't sound very comfortable, does it? And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. John the Baptist is a man that would stand out in a crowd. And I, and I picture it this way. Let's say you, you intend to go to a Christmas party. You think it's an ugly sweater party. And so you go all out. Problem is, everybody else is dressed to the nines, right? You are going to stand out. I think John the Baptist stood out to the people around him. Are you willing to look different and to be uncomfortable this Advent season? To help others connect to Christ? Nineveh was willing to wear sackcloth for their salvation. John the Baptist wore camel's hair in order to draw others to salvation. What are you willing to do this Advent season? 
Matthew continues, and when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Now I think of the Jonah story that we just went through. Remember that story, the storm, the sea obeyed the voice of the Lord. The great fish obeyed the voice of the Lord. The uh, gourd obeyed the voice of the Lord. The uh, wind obeyed the voice of the Lord. The scorching sun obeyed the voice of the Lord. All of creation obeyed the voice of the Lord. And the question is, will you? Will you order your life according to what God says to you? Excellent. Love that answer. That's what John the Baptist is getting to. For I tell you, God is able from these stones, creation will raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with fire for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His wounding fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist was willing to look different in the crowd in order to draw others to Christ. But he didn't just stop there. He was willing to have the hard conversations with his family, with his friends, with his community. And, and understand the Pharisees and Sadducees, these were, this was community for John. These were his peers. Now, I don't recommend calling people a brood of vipers. I don't know if that works so well today. Uh, if it works for you, please let me know. Hasn't worked for me so far. I've tried a couple times, failed miserably. But John the Baptist was willing to say the things his contemporaries needed to hear. He was willing to have the hard conversations. John the Baptist was preparing the way of the Lord for Christ's first advent. And you and I are called to the same purpose for Christ's second advent. What are we doing to prepare the way? As we move into Christmas, are we looking and going, Lord, what do you want to do? What does it look like to be prepared for your second coming? Who do I need to have conversations with? Who do I need to invite in? Who needs restoration? 
Who needs healing? So the implication is this. What are you doing to create traditions that will draw people to Christ? The board says peace, right? In your notes, it says peace. When you draw people to Christ, you are drawing people to peace. And when you draw people to peace, you draw people to Christ. It works hand in hand. We may have to look different than our neighbors. We may have to have some challenging conversations. We may need to restore something that was lost in order to bring peace in order to have the conversation about Christ. It starts by pointing people to the amazing relationship that we have with Christ. Which brings us to communion. Each week we celebrate what Jesus was willing to do, the price he is willing to pay to say, I love you. I love you. Jesus established a new covenant in his body and in his blood when he went to the cross. A covenant of grace. The covenant that says, I believe you are more than just your past failures. I believe in your potential. So we're going to take time to remember what Christ did on the cross. If you are new with us, please know that we have an open table. That means if you're here to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're welcome to join us. Please come and grab the elements and return back to your seat and hold them, and we'll take them together in just a moment. This is an ancient practice, communion. 2,000 years, the people of Christ have been celebrating to remember, to, to never forget what Jesus Christ was willing to pay I need that reminder myself. I've needed it for the 43 years I've been pursuing Christ. And so we do this on a weekly basis so that we don't stray too far from this truth that God is madly in love with us as Christ shows us on the cross. But not just him going to the cross but his resurrection and the life that he offers us through his son. And we get to carry on the work that Jesus did when he was here on earth. That's our calling as a church. And so the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper. He said, this is new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember 
our Savior. Jesus, um, I'm so grateful for your first advent. I can't believe the price that you're willing to pay. It, it, it astounds me. How faithful you were to the Father in completing everything he assigned to you. I pray we'd be a people known for our faithfulness, for preparing the way for your second advent. What a glorious day that will be. Lord, I long for your return. And until that time, may I be faithful. May we be faithful as a people. We love you. We celebrate you as God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side. of a nap, so I'll just state that up front. Whew.